What is your greatest need? Not what do you want most, but what do you actually need that is utterly, completely, totally essential? We can think of practical things in daily life that are essential. Shelter, clothing, food, water, oxygen. They're essential. But there's something far more important, more vital than these things that deal with the needs of our bodies. Something that you need to get right. This will be looked at under our text, Romans chapter 10, And verse 13, which says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our text promises salvation. And that promise presupposes that you need To be saved. You need to be set free. You need to be delivered. You need to have life. It tells us how you can be saved. And it tells us who can be saved. But first of all, as I say, we must see this principle that you need to be saved. Do you see yourself as God sees you? Or do you see yourself only in your own eyes? Your own opinion? I know to most people You seem like good, upright, upstanding citizens. Wonderful people. I don't doubt it. Better than I am, I'm sure. No question of it. But that's not the standard that is brought before us. We are to see ourselves as God sees us. He who looks upon uh, the heart. Now, first of all, in our modern day, we have to realize that we do indeed live our lives. We do stand before God. God is our creator. Romans chapter 1, at the 19th verse says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. 
verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even if his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It's a great, great error to deny the evidence that is all around us. The evidence of that great intelligent design of how God has worked all things after his will to the power of his word. Even in a womb, a little, little tiny, tiny baby is formed. New life given by God. And then we look at the vastness of the stars stretched out across the sky. The wondrous, magnificent sights. So vast, so contrasting and different. The glory of God on display. And the whole of creation so intricately fitted together to work together interdependent think of your own body we are fearfully and wonderfully made each little part of your body has to work your heart, your lungs your kidneys, your liver your digestive system it must all be in working order at the same time, or you're in deep trouble. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We should recognize that we stand responsible before our Creator. But you know, God has also spoken. And given us his word of truth. The scriptures. And God has given us his law. Thou shalt not. And a list of things that were not to do. Stealing. Lying. Coveting. Killing. Adultery. There's a standard of perfection. And most people recognize most of those things even today. That's the standard of right and wrong. At least to some extent. We have laws against stealing. We have laws against giving false witness statements. We have laws against killing people. These things are recognized as right and wrong. And we live before God's standard in the light of what he has said. I mean, God 
He gives a law. He expects it to be perfectly obeyed if we are to be accepted in his sight. The righteousness of God is perfect. 100%. Breaking God's law, he calls sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. We can look at sins, can't we? Murder. Telling lies in court. And various, various other things. And it's so easy to look at them and say, I'm not guilty. I'm not like that. I've never killed anyone. I've never misled the police. I've never told lies under oath. In fact, I try not to tell lies at all. It's all very good. But you know, you've got to remember something that Jesus said. Matthew (coughs) chapter 5 and the 22nd verse. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. God looks on our hearts. God looks at our motives. God looks at what we momentarily thought of doing. I want revenge now. When you look at your own heart in that light, ask yourself, have you ever been angry? Angry with your brother, so to speak. I think most of us have. Go as far as to say that all of us in some way are guilty. All of us have said things that are wrong. All of us have thought things that are wrong. When we talk about sin, when we talk about sinners, we're talking about ourselves. I'm not standing here today as someone who is holier, who is several feet above contradiction and correction. I'm standing here today because I've got God's word of truth to explain to you because I am a sinner. I too am guilty. And the Apostle Paul applied it to himself and he said that he was the greatest sinner. The Lord Jesus spoke about when you see a fault in somebody else, Look at yourself. If you want to take a speck of dust out of somebody else's eye, take the beam, the plank of wood, out of your own first. Yes, he was talking about hypocrisy. But 
it highlights the fact that we are all sinners. And you should look to yourself in the sight of God and see your own sin as God sees it. Not as others see it. The psalmist said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Yes, he'd sinned against people. But he saw that primarily and foremost his sin was against the holy God. And this is what we need to understand. It's not a popular message. I know that. It's not nice being told that God sees you as a sinner in need of saving. But we have to start with the truth. If we're to get to the point of being saved, of having peace with God. And that is what is most essential. Remember, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sins have a pleasure attached to them that endure for a season. It can be, and this might seem a silly example, but it can be really enjoyable to eat and eat and eat your favorite food. Whether it's ice cream or fish and chips. But if you eat too much of it, it might make you sick. If you eat too much of it, it'll certainly, for most people anyway, make you overweight, make you fat. It's a problem. Sinful behavior has its own wages. We need to remember that. The wages of sin is death. And spiritually speaking, that means separation from God. We are all sinners. So our first point, you need to be saved. Secondly, uh, to be saved, you need to call on the name of the Lord. Instead of trying to clean yourself up and make yourself acceptable in God's sight, you need to stop doing that. And you need to come humbly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 of Romans chapter 10 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, it was the Lord Jesus who lived his life perfectly without sin. Never once 
did he have to say sorry or apologize? He, the sinless one, totally, completely fulfilled the law. And it is in him that we can find righteousness to stand before God. It was he who was able to go to that cross, who was able to pay the penalty. Isaiah chapter 53 and the fifth verse says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Calling on the name of the Lord is the complete opposite of trying to do something yourself. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is of grace. It is a free gift. The price has been paid by Jesus on that cross. But Jesus, we read Philippians chapter 2 verse 8, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So at verse 9 of chapter 10 we read, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The good news that we have to offer is the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. Call on his name. Depend on him. Trust in him. And you will be saved. Yes, this message is foolish. So many will laugh it to scorn. But it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone. Oh, that believeth. Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. It's very simple. Yet so profound. Because... Confessing the Lord Jesus means acknowledging all the truth about him. The eternal Son. The incarnate Son. Born at Bethlehem. The sinless one. Who went to Calvary to die. Who rose in triumph from the grave. Ascended into heaven. Confessing the Lord Jesus means acknowledging that he is sovereign. He is Lord of all. He is your Lord. He is 
in control. This is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the truth that we need to proclaim. This is what you need to believe, to be saved. This is the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It means confessing him as your everything and yourself as nothing. This is not a mere knowledge of facts. It's taking those facts on board, believing them, trusting them, living on them. Will you bow before the Lord Jesus? Will you bow before him today? Call on him. Call on his name. You will be saved. So we've seen. You need salvation. We've seen those who call on his name will be saved. And our third and final point is this word, whosoever. This message is not just for some select group of religious people. This message is the good news for everyone, rich or poor, active or frail, educated or uneducated. Whatever your ethnic or cultural background, this is the good news that we have. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This is God's great act of love. John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What love is that? Whosoever. And that includes you. That includes everyone around us. Whosoever. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a general offer. But it doesn't mean everyone will be saved. You have to call. You have to see your need. 
If you don't, you won't be saved. It's a very simple division. God, in love, has this good news proclaimed. This salvation. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it is only those who call on the name of the Lord who will be saved. Jesus came with that message. Repent ye and believe the gospel. This is the choice set before you. Will you call on the name of the Lord? Will you repent and believe? Or will you continue lost and in need of salvation? Today, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. None of us knows what a day will bring. We've been reminded this winter how brief life can be by what a thin threat we hold on to life. A moment can see our lives ended. Don't delay. But we must also note just one point from the context of this chapter. We've got this glorious gospel message. The first verse of our chapter says something about our attitude. We can learn from the apostle. Verse 1 he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for, for my people. For my neighbours, for my family, is that they might be saved. Is that our heart's desire and prayer for the people of our island home? That they should hear this glorious truth, that they should respond in faith, that they should be Saved, brought to peace with God. Let us look to the Lord that our hearts might be filled with this great desire, this great love, the love of God, the love of Christ might shine forth. Amen.